We're going to continue this morning our sermon series, Winning Over Worry. 2020 is a great year to think about how, as followers of Jesus Christ, by faith in Him and by His power, we live in victory over the worry that surrounds us. Uh, Today we're returning to a passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. So Lorna, watching at home, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. More on what's ahead. We're going to take a look at what's ahead and find some joy and some strength and some purpose and some focus there today. Life can be discouraging even under the best of circumstances. Uh, But during this pandemic, this COVID-19, life truly is discouraging. Uh, Things have have drastically changed. And there's, uh, you know, we're having the opportunity on a daily basis to realize just how much is out of our personal control. Um, Maybe you're lonely and depressed. You feel like social distancing has caused you to to lose or, or have drastically reduced meaningful relationships at work, at school, and um, especially t- together here at church. We do not gather and worship like we normally do in these days uh, because we're trying to, to maintain proper distance and all, you know, all that stuff. We have curtailed activities at church. The worship service that we continue is not like it normally is. Um, hadn't seen the people that I work with most of them since February. Since February. So this last Friday, a couple of days ago, Lucy and I met them at a, at a restaurant, had some really good Mexican food, and, and got to visit with each other. And uh, they got to, most of them got to meet Lucy for the first time. And, and uh, it was a really good time. And to a person, every single one of us said how much we missed being able to see each other whenever we feel like it and um, you know to work where we, where we see each other every day so perhaps uh, in addition to all this the, the isolation and the depression that can come from that you're watching your retirement gyrate man you look at your, your retirement funds and one day they're just like off a cliff and then the next day they're rebounding and what used to be steady you know is just like this now um, it, you know I, I got a, uh, received a letter from a friend of mine who I've known for 37 years. I can count on one hand that the number of people that I've stayed in touch with over that time frame besides close family. Um, and, and this is one of them. We, we went through boot camp and, and technical school together in the Air Force and, and uh, went our separate ways after that, but we've, we've stayed in touch. And, and uh, one of the things he... He shared in the letter, and I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him or out him, but he sent a generous check t- towards the cost of the equipment that we purchased to be able to live stream and, and put our services on the line and stuff in response to an appeal last week. So praise God for that. But one of the things he said is that um, he's, he doesn't know how he's going to afford to retire. You know, um, he had a setback in, in midlife that cost him everything financially, you know, and starting over. And, and uh, he's a responsible guy. He's always worked and, and you know, but he doesn't know how he's going to retire. And I'm like, dude, you know, I haven't responded to him in the letter yet, but I'm in the same boat. Um, 
you know, I don't know when the day is going to be when when I don't work anymore. Um, and so it just is what it is. But, you know, maybe you're, you're watching your retirement and you're thinking, what could possibly happen here? Um, day after day, you see your savings and investments swing up and down. Maybe you're anxious about the virus itself. Uh, some of us are more prone to, to be more physically affected by that if we contract it than others. Or, you, you know, you've already lost a loved one or you know someone who has the virus. Uh, it seems that that during this season of life in 2020, um, discouragement is on steroids today. And perhaps in our weaker, more honest moments, we can all feel like we're losing heart because of how much it's changed and how much it's impacted us and and how much control we do not have. So, how can we defeat discouragement? By recognizing that the greatest comfort on earth is the hope of heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 through chapter 5 verse 10, the apostle Paul is going to show us how we can avoid losing heart. There are 13 verses in this passage, and Paul will identify three disciplines that enable us to defeat discouragement and find the power to persevere. You see the two sides of that coin? Defeat discouragement, defeat the negative. But there's great positive. Find the power to persevere in this life. Last week we covered the first of these three disciplines, and that is adopt an eternal perspective. So let me briefly summarize by faith in Jesus Christ and the sure hope of eternity with Him in heaven. My troubles today are lightened and my focus is on eternity. Praise God. Adopt an eternal perspective. Now let's read from the Holy Bible again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning of verse 16. Therefore we did not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling." so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the second of the three disciplines Paul gives us in this passage to defeat discouragement and find the power to persevere is to anticipate a new body. Let me read for you again 2 Corinthians, the first five verses of chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Anticipate a new body. Paul continues the contrast between things seen and things not yet seen. He mentioned it in in chapter 4, verse 18. And here in chapter 5, verse 1, we find the theme for the remaining 10 verses of this passage. Paul contrasts the present body with the resurrection body. For we know... It doesn't say we guess or we cross our fingers and hope or we think. It says we know. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. I love how Paul calls our physical bodies an earthly tent. In Paul's world, this was a very apt illustration because many people lived in tents as their primary residence. Furthermore, Paul made his living as a tent maker at least while he was ministering in the city of Corinth. The point is, Paul knows tents. It's like talking to Louis about farming. Louis knows farming. He does it every day. Paul knows tents. If you've ever spent time in a tent, You know it's fun to camp out in a tent for a while, but let's face it, you wouldn't want to call it home. Can you imagine going through our winters in a tent? Um, It's hot in the summer, cold in the winter, leaky when it rains. There's always relief when you pack the tent up and go back to your real home, right? And the older the tent gets, um, the more it sags and droops and frays and tears and rots. Um, Paul's point is this. Our body is a tent. It's not our eternal home. It's worth noting that Paul switches, um, the switch of metaphors for the body from being a tent to being a building from God was meant to emphasize the change from a temporary body here on earth to a permanent resurrection body in heaven. Our present body is temporary. But it will be replaced with one that lasts forever. Our final state in the new heaven and new earth will be an embodied one with bodies that never wear down, never get sick, never break bones, never need back surgery, never need a shoulder replacement. You'll be able to stand straight up in heaven, not with your head sticking out like a turtle, leaning forward like some of us. A body that never contracts cancer. What a day that will be. No more suffering. No more sickness. 
No more death. Praise God. Even though right now we live in a tent, one day we're going to live in a palace. Praise God. Most Christians know that one day they'll be given a new body. Um, But we often live by a different set of values and priorities. Consider how much time, energy, and money we spend on our earthly tent versus our building from God. Think about that. We love our earthly tents. But sometimes we do so, sadly, at the expense of our building from God. During this pandemic, when, when our normal social interactions are limited at best, we have an opportunity to build up our inner person. So let's not miss out on what for us is an unprecedented opportunity. Let's not miss out on that. Uh, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 2-4, through 4, Paul further explains our earthly plight. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So in that passage, Paul expresses a longing to have this new body. He wants to vacate his earthly tent and be clothed with his new body. I don't know about you, but for some, um, even one night in a tent causes them to groan. I can't sleep flat on my back in a sleeping bag anymore. If I was in a tent all night, I, I, I would maybe doze for a few minutes at a time here and there, but I basically wouldn't have any sleep. I can't lay flat on my back. And, and, I, and I can't lay on my left shoulder because it's uncomfortable because I have a shoulder replacement. So I'd go from laying on my back to my right shoulder all night and basically not get any sleep, right? Somebody call a wambulance. It's so awful. Um, but think about it. One night in a tent makes some of us groan. Just the thought of it. They're either too hot or too cold. You toss and turn all night. Water and bugs always seem to find their way inside. Um, if you did have to spend a night in a tent, you'd wake up sore all over. And you'd have to get back up or a crane to get off the ground. Get, get back on your feet outside the tent, right? There's no shower. I mean, you get the idea, right? Tent camping isn't all it's cracked up to be. I think that's why the RV market does so well. Um, that's, you know, that's my idea of camping now. Man, you, somebody give me an RV, I'm, I'll go camping. Um, Paul also emphasizes groaning somewhere else in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, where he says, We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, perhaps you're feeling like you've been living in your tent for a long time and you groan. You have aches and pains. Um, you spend more time with the doctor than the nurse does. You're handling more drugs than a pharmaceutical rep. The possibility of death is more noticeable the longer you live in an earthly tent. It's easy to lose heart or to be discouraged. Perhaps you've lost a loved one to death and you grieve. The death of, of our f- family and friends 
can cause us to lose heart, you know, or, or to be discouraged. But there will come a day when we have a new body. Praise God, it's coming. When life gets excruciatingly hard, a person naturally longs for relief, right? That's like a healthy response. Paul found his relief in the anticipation of his resurrection body. Our inner person is looking for a permanent home. We long for more than this life has to offer us. We groan in, the, in this tent that we inhabit now because we know that God has already prepared a better one for us. May we always remember that the greatest comfort on earth is the hope of heaven. So how can we be certain that Paul's promise of a new body is true? Verse 5 puts it like this. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That's how we can know. The Holy Spirit serves as a reminder that there's more to come. As awesome as the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is in us and among us, it's just a deposit, a pledge or guarantee. Some English versions have down payment or earnest to describe the Spirit in this passage. When you buy a house, you put down a sum of money called earnest money when you make a bid on the house. It's a relatively small amount compared to the full price of the house. It's an amount that legally binds you to pay the full amount later, right? That's what God has done through His Holy Spirit. The Spirit who indwells us by faith in Christ is God's deposit on a future resurrection. God signed on the dotted line and said, I will raise from the dead all who trusted in my Son. And then He made the down payment through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's as good as done. It's guaranteed to happen. You can take it to the bank. What confidence we can possess as followers of Jesus. God is one day going to heal our bodies, is going to heal our minds, is going to heal our hearts. May we live with the mindset that the greatest comfort on earth is the hope of heaven. So the first two disciplines to defeat discouragement and give us the power to persevere are adopt an eternal perspective and anticipate a new body. Praise God. Now, next, is await our eternal home. The comfort and assurance that comes from the promise of renewal and redemption leads us to the prospect of reward. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, Paul shares some of the most comforting and exhilarating words in the entire New Testament. Therefore, we are always confident that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The word therefore ties back to the previous section, the first five verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and prepares us to make application of those words in our lives personally. Paul challenges us to always be confident during this interim period when we're absent from the Lord. Now stop and think for just a minute of the simplicity of Paul's argument here. During this life, we're essentially away from the Lord. He's in heaven. We're on earth. 
Yes, we've exercised faith in Christ, and in that faith and the salvation that Jesus rewards us with, we are children of God. But we've yet to see Him as He is and be made like Him for eternity. We can understand this tension on a much smaller scale, perhaps. Right now, with, with the pandemic, we're not with one another like we normally are. We're using every possible form of communication. But we know that nothing compares with being with people in person. The same is true in our relationship with our Lord. While we're living in our earthly tents, we cannot have a tangible, visible, audible relationship with the Lord. But when we die, we'll be at home with Him. We'll hear His voice. We'll touch His hands and see Him face to face. No wonder Paul prefers to be in heaven rather than here. The greatest comfort on earth is the hope of heaven. In verse 7, we have a parenthetical thought. So Paul's talking along, then, then, he, then he has a brief thought on something else, like you'd put in parentheses if you were writing it down, and then he goes on with his main thought. Here in verse 7, Since Christ isn't physically present, believers live by faith. But we, we need to think about this in the society time that we live in today. Um, there's a modern misconception of faith being some blind leap in the dark in the absence of evidence. Um, that erroneous view comes from a naturalistic view of the world that suggests God doesn't intervene or cannot intervene in the cause and effect systems of the physical order of the universe, of our world. Thus, a person must take a leap against and in the face of what modern science tells us is true to be a person of Christian faith. Um, However, this is just not true. Biblical faith is not a leap in the dark. It's a step into the light where we trust what God has revealed through His revelation to us is true. We trust that by faith, but don't think that faith is contradictory to science. I have friends, plural, who could not come to faith in Jesus until they understood how everything we know in modern contemporary science confirms that there is a creator and that he must be a loving creator because he he placed beauty and the desire for fellowship in his creation. So... It's not a blind leap in the dark contrary to science. It's a confirmation of the source of the ordered universe that allows us to do scientific investigation and discover scientific principles upon which the God-created universal order exists and operates. So rewind that and listen to that again if you need to because that's a really important point. Biblical faith is a step into the light where we trust what God has revealed through His revelation to us is true. Here in verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul picks up where he left off in verse 6 with the real kicker here. When we pass from this life, we're immediately ushered into the presence of God. 
This reality allows Paul to express his preference that he'd rather be at home with the Lord. I mean, what follower of Jesus wouldn't, right? Twice in verse 6 and verse 8, Paul uses the verb, are confident. Confidence is required to have a mindset that's prepared to die to be with the Lord. The verb means to have certainty in a matter. We can have confidence and certainty in our our eternal home in heaven. And notice that there's no mention here or anywhere else in the Bible of soul sleep or purgatory or reincarnation. There will be no dormant state after this life before heaven. We'll go instantly into the presence of Jesus Christ and there will await the resurrection of our bodies which will occur after the second coming of Christ in God's timing. How then should we live? That's what we look forward to as followers of Jesus, being ushered into His presence in eternity when we leave this life. How then should we live in the meantime? If we really believe that God has prepared a resurrection body for us, And if we really desire to be at home with the Lord, how should that affect our daily living now? Very important questions. God, Paul, through Paul, gives us the answer here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In light of the fact that we're headed home, um, Paul urges us to live this life to please God. This is to be our ambition. This is our pursuit, our passion. Why is pleasing God so important? This is a good question, because I know people that are... uh, well, I'm thinking of one individual in particular that is or was a Christian. Um, and he says that God doesn't, isn't going to judge anybody, that nobody's going to go to hell, that everybody's going to end up in heaven. Um, as far as I can tell, he came to believe that after he did some things that are blatantly unbiblical. Cost him his marriage and, and some of his relationship with his children. And then now, you know, everybody goes to heaven. So God wouldn't hate and send anybody to hell. God doesn't send any people, anybody to hell. People reject him. And there's a consequence to our actions that none of us escape from. People choose to go to hell by rejecting Jesus Christ. But that is the destination for those that do. So let's know that and act accordingly. So... Why is pleasing God so important? If we're headed to heaven and, and we'll receive a new body, does it really matter if we please God? This is an important question. Um, you know, because it seems that some live this exact thing out. Oh, you know, I accepted Jesus when I was seven in a vacation Bible school. And so, you know, I've done whatever I feel like doing since then, but I'm good, right? Um Does it really matter if we please God? This passage tells us all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, This judgment that's being talked about here, I don't think it does, I think it doesn't pertain to our eternal salvation. 
the terms what is due and the reference to judgment of things done all demonstrate that we'll be judged according to our works in this life. Salvation is given to us by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And those of us who accept Christ as Savior, our reward here is in this passage is for the quality of our works that the Lord empowers us to accomplish according to His will. What we do with this gift of eternal life during this life, with this gift of salvation by faith in Jesus, what we do with that, we're accountable for that. And this judgment in this passage, I believe, that's what it's talking about, being judged uh, for what we've done with what the opportunities and gifts and abilities and resources that Christ has given us. While salvation is given us is given to us by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our reward here is for the quality of our works that the Lord empowers us to accomplish according to His will. Jesus will evaluate each and every one of us according to our time, our talents, our treasure, our truth, and our relationships. School teaches students to prepare for tests that gauge their achievement, right? Employers motivate employees by regular performance reviews. Doctors remind patients of their next annual physical exam, right? Evaluations are a part of life. We should expect to be evaluated by Jesus as earthly stewards of his giftedness and his salvation. May the prospect of the judgment seat of Christ motivate us to be obedient to the Lord while we're away from him in this earthly tent. Paul's word, words here reveal that there's more to life than living for today. Um, Sooner or later, we are going to die. So don't make it your goal in life to simply stay alive. You'll fail at that. We're here to do more than simply delay death. We must recognize that every human being has two divinely arranged appointments, birth and death. To put it simply, we've been given two dates and one dash. I was born in 1960, dash, I'm going to die in 21 something, right? Probably 20 something. Unless I'm 140 years old. Um, Which the way I feel today, I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you've already met one date your birth now you're in the dash that second divine appointment death is approaching for each one of us we don't know how soon Um, I've told you that that I have a friend that died at 61 years old worked um, had a retirement set up where he could live the rest of his life retired earlier this summer and enjoyed that retirement that he'd worked all his life for for three weeks and with no preceding symptoms, fell over dead at his house one day. Three weeks of retirement. Um, he, he had a lot of uh, family and friends and loved ones and, and had a great funeral and stuff, but it's going to happen to all of us. We have a second divine appointment. Death is approaching. Do you know where you'll be spending eternity? I'm not asking you to say it publicly or say it to me, and I don't want anybody to shuck and jive. Look yourself in the face. Go to the mirror if you need to. Do you know where you'll be spending eternity? Are you ready to die? I mean, 
you know, on one hand, I'm not ready to die. I'd love to live for decades. I'd like to see my grandkids grow up. I'd like to see what they do with life. I'd like to contribute to their faith in Jesus along the way. But, but if, I, if it's God's will that I die, um, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and so if I'm given a menu, which I'm not, I wouldn't choose to die today. But if I do, I'm okay. Because I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm going to heaven. Can you answer that question? Um, are you ready to die? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? When you die, where will you live again? Will it be with the Lord in heaven or away from his presence forever in hell? Those are the two choices. It is one or the other. Many tombstones have three letters on them. R.I.P. Rest in peace, right? Um, somebody that I'm a friend with on Facebook had a, a family member pass away this past week, and they put RIP, rest in peace, for that person. It, isn't it interesting that believers and unbelievers alike assume that they'll find rest in the life to come? We long for it. We assume that it's coming. You can know you have it by faith in Jesus Christ. But what if believers prepared for the life to come during the present lives. What if that was our focus? Augustine was a Christian who's been very influential in the faith. His, his two dates in a dash are 354-430. He was born in 354 A.D., died in 430 A.D., and he said this, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee, referring to God. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Is your heart restless today? You can find rest. You don't have to rest in peace after you die or hope you get some rest in peace after you die. You can have that today by faith in Jesus Christ. All your troubles don't just magically disappear, but all your troubles now are seen in light of fixing your eyes on Jesus, your Savior and your Lord, and knowing that you have eternity with Him in heaven. You can have hope, a certain expectation and assurance that you'll one day have a new body in an eternal home with God by faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest comfort on earth is the hope of heaven. So let's be honest and ask ourselves a few questions. Here's some things for you to think about. Am I living with an eternal perspective? Do I live this life by faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Is the weight of my troubles today lightened by the sure hope that I have eternity in heaven to come? Are the decisions I make and my accomplishments informed and empowered by faith in Jesus Christ? And finally, is it my intention to do God's will in my life every single day? Something to think about. You know Jesus loves you and He's for you. He's already gone to the cross and shed His blood and He did that for you. And when you accept that personally, you can receive forgiveness of your sins and know, be certain of, that someday He will welcome you into heaven. Hallelujah. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the privilege that is ours to know Christ as Savior and to serve him as Lord, to live this life focused on eternity in heaven. Um, Lord, most of us think of very specific aches and pains and groaning in our physical bodies today. We long for heaven. Um, So thank you, Jesus, for preparing a, a place for us to come and join you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, If you're just the earnest, the deposit, um, how much truth you give us, how much conviction you give us, how much strength you give us, the power to serve Christ, if that's just a deposit, what an amazing, amazing gift awaits us when we leave this earthly tent and go to the building of God in heaven. Our hearts are full of joy and peace and expectation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, praise the Lord. God is good.